0: Hey y'all, welcome back to the Fire and Water Cooking Podcast. I am Darren, I'm your host, of course. Today, I have a special guest, Mr. Jason Perlew. He is one of the co-founders of the website eGullet. Also, a food blogger and a technology reviewer for both ZDNet and CNN. I'll be right back, we'll talk to Jason.
1: Smoking, grilling, getting hot and hotter, sous vide and chilling from... Fire
0: and water. Hey, all, it's Darren, and I want to take a second to talk to you about the high powered torches from Grill Blazer, the Grill Gun and Sous vide Gun. I was lucky enough to be a part of this project long before it was a Kickstarter, and I love them. If you're looking for something to sear your food within seconds, check out the Sous vide Gun. If you're looking for a torch to light your grill, and have it up and cooking within five minutes your lump or briquettes check out the grill gun you can also light outdoor fire pits and your fireplace within minutes check it out guys at the link below and get 10 percent off your order check out the grill gun and the sous vide gun by grill blazer welcome back to the fire and water cooking podcast guys i am here with uh a new guest jason perlow uh Actually, I just found out about Jason not too long ago. We kind of stumbled across each other on a uh, Facebook group, and um, we were actually both talking about the Innova Precision oven or was the Jewel oven, I think. Yeah. Um, And, um, you know, Jason's got some history that really uh, intrigued me because I've talked to a lot of people Jason knows. So Jason right now works for – he's a food blogger and a tech expert. He works for CNN – and uh, ZDNet, and does some other stuff. So, Jason, welcome to the Fire and Water Cooking Podcast. Go ahead and introduce yourself, and let us know who you are.
1: So, my name again is Jason Perlow, and I have uh, I'm 52 years old, and I have been involved in really in the computer industry since the uh, the early 1990s. Um, and I consider myself primarily a techie with a heavy food addiction. And food t- and 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 cooking and food technology addiction. So, uh, I am first and foremost these days a writer. Uh, you know, I come from the technology systems integration background, former IBM, former Microsoft, former you know Wall Street technology financial industry consulting back in the day. Um, but now I am primarily a writer. So, a, a writer uh, of, of technology reviews. I review restaurants locally here in South Florida. Um, and of course, um, I run a, uh, a foodies, uh, discussion group, um, on Facebook with a community of about 6,500 people on it. So you got basically,
0: um, interested in food a long time ago, but I guess you, your career was technology, but you kind of tried to mix the two, uh, back, I guess in the early nineties or how long ago was it?
1: So, I mean, you know, I've always been interested in the intersection of, you know, technology and food. I think, you know, because, you know, I, I love science fiction and, you know, what, you watch Star Trek enough and you, know, you see food kind of like magically appear on the enterprise. You know, wow, that seems fantastic. You know, I, I can have any meal that I want just on, on the touch of a button um, and talking to a computer. Well, we can talk to computers now, but, they, you know, mood, food doesn't just kind of magically appear yet. Right. So we're still getting there. Um, But I always felt that, you know, food preparation technology and and the monetization of the kitchen, you know, you look at like the Jetsons and all the cool things that, you know, were on those TV shows in the 60s. All the promises that we had during the various, um, you know, when my parents went to the 1964 World's Fair, you know, and they had, you know, all the companies GE there demonstrating the kitchen of the future. We never quite got there. But we're but we're starting to get there. I think in the last five or so ten years, I think that progression is you know that 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 realization of of, of 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 having that fully automated or very sophisticated kitchen that helps, I guess, amateur cooks cook more like restaurant cooks is becoming more of a reality.
0: Yeah, it's like one of my favorite rides, believe it or not, at Disney World is the Carousel of Progress. Yes. <laughs> We take the kids on it just to torture them because me and my wife think it's cool because it's been there forever and it does that it goes through the world. It, it, oh, wasn't oh, a, well, it well, was they, a world's they, fair exhibit, you know, it was, yeah, they,
1: they moved those all to Epcot, right. You know, yeah. it, it, and, they, and they look incredibly dated, but it's fun to look at it, you know?
0: Yeah. But I mean, it's, but it's still, you know, when you sit there and you watch the stuff and you know, yeah, well you can look at what, what's going on today and, and look back to when me and you were young, you know, my mom would never, understood what a sous vide, you know, uh, right. circulator was or anything like that. Right. Or, um, you know, so it's, it, to me, I, I'm really intrigued about all the, uh, different, uh, you know, growth of technology in both indoor and outdoor cooking. I mean, it's, it, it's growing all over the place. Yes. I mean, with the, with the pellet grills that are, you know, Wi-Fi, you know, functionality with built-in yes. recipes and all kinds of stuff now that, um, that you can find, you know, so, it's that's why this is really uh, you know gets my uh, gets my juices flowing when I like talking about this kind of yeah. stuff. So yeah. even though it's not my career, I mean I was in restaurants back you know back when I was younger, my you know twenties. I worked in restaurants and worked in kitchens, but I haven't you know I've always loved cooking and I've always loved technology. When you can put them together. And different yeah. cooking methods and stuff. It's really what intrigues yep. me. So, so let's talk about e- eGullet. What got you started? You're you're one of the founders of eGullet, which is actually a uh, birthplace of you could say modernist cooking,
1: right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. A, a lot of a lot of cool people got their start on that on that site. And this was, of course, you know, pre Facebook. You know, th- we launched it in early 2000, um, and then. Uh, we looked at, we, we launched it because um it was, you know, old, there was it's an old bulletin board
0: type uh, it was an old bulletin group. board
1: type, yeah, old bulletin <laughs> board type thing. Um and we went through a couple of pieces different pieces of bulletin board software at the time, but there were a few food discussion communities on the internet at the time. You know, there was the the FIDO nets and the, the internet uh news groups, you know, and the various um Chowhound was started in like 1998 or something like that. And, you know, that was kind of like a homebrew piece of software that the guy Jim left started. Um, I, I wanted to assist him to try to modernize the software stack because I knew how much money it was going to cost for him to host it with the, with the technology he was using. He was not optimized for the type of traffic he was getting. Um, but I ended up um, with Stephen Shaw who was, you know, at the time he was nominated for a, uh, you know, James Beard Award uh, for some of the writing that he was doing. And he was a very, you know, up and coming, prominent food writer. We decided that, you know what, we can do this. We can start a food discussion website. We can blend the opinions and uh, the, the, the various, the, the opinions. And also, I, and I think the, the, the edginess and quirkiness of um, home cooks, and, and, and the sort of the, the, the restaurant and, 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 and food community of New York City at the time um, with also the professional chefs, because we knew those professional chefs. And I, and I think that it, and, and I think it was really the first website of its kind where you could have a Tony Bourdain talking to, you know, a, 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 um, a home chef or, or, you know, a, or a, a working mom or, or a single or, you know, a, a, a homemaker instructing a homemaker on how to make a a proper, you know, cassoulet or, or, you know, or something like that, you know? And I, I, and so I think it was unusual. It was groundbreaking at the time for what it did. And it became more popular because it it really didn't, it started to gain a lot of traction um, after September 11th um, because um, it was a place where the restaurant community could, Talk to each other. Talk to the staff. Help people get new jobs. Um, just to check up on people and see if they were okay. And that, and that, then that really caused the the site to to, to really take off at that time. Um, and so, so it was it was an interesting, it was an event. It was a terrible event that really caused that that site to gain um, a lot of attention um, in, in in the in the, the, the national and international press, and we started to get coverage. Um, all over the place, New York Times, you know, um, L.A. Times, you know, Boston, Boston Herald, Chicago, um, various different international newspapers. We, we started to bring in more experts from outside of the country and outside of the New York metro area. So it, it was an interesting. It was an interesting confluence of events that kind of created this really dynamic, very active food discussion community. And I think um, it would be hard to duplicate that today given the way that the platforms currently run now and it was much more freewheeling um the discourse i think was a very different type of discourse than we have today on social networks now everyone's afraid of getting you know you in know facebook uh, jail yeah, <laughs> yeah I get, and that happens, and i get in facebook jail probably once a month now just for and i don't know why it happens to me i mean it's for things that i i would consider i mean bourdain Used to f bomb on a continual basis on Egullet, and and, and and he liked it because we didn't censor him. Um, but I don't. But and but you know I think the type of discourse that you would get back in you know the 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 late nineties, and early two thousands would get your Facebook jailed in two seconds. You know and and, oh, yeah. and you know so it's it's a different time, um, but I, I think it, it it had some very groundbreaking discussion that occurred there that that spurred off a lot of different things for a lot of different people. Um, you know Simon Majumdar, who's who's big on the Food Network now. He got his start on Um Kenji got a lot of his start on Um, You know we the the Alinia, the restaurant in Chicago, um, that was one of the very first, I would say, um, molecular gastronomy type restaurants. Um, granted Chat, he got the, the the restaurant. We worked on a project with them to basically launch the restaurant, he got it up all the way from the design of the silverware and the plates and all the different things that they used, um, and kind of beta testing the recipes for the dishes. Um, we also were responsible for hosting the first major sous vide discussion in the United States. Um, Mervald, at the time. Um, was experimenting on it for his book series that he was going to publish uh which we now know as modernist cuisine, cuisine you know, that giant you know $3000 tower of, <laughs> right. of stuff was when he was developing it he basically was engaging a lot of folks on egal about their techniques whether they were using sous vide units really at the time only the top you know the top probably 4 or 6 restaurants in new york city had sous vide circulate you know like le Bernardin or uh or grow or like you know, or um, you know, Jean George, you know, all the top French restaurants, you know, they were using you know, two thousand, three thousand dollars circulator units. We did not have ANOVAs and Jewels and you know, fifty dollars, sixty dollars things yeah, right? in pots at the time. They were much more sophisticated. So we were at the time, you know, we were developing the timings for some of these more advanced recipes. Uh, I mean, obviously, sous vide was around much longer. Sous vide was developed in like the 1970s for the French railway industry, at a much different scale of production for the type of things that they wanted to do than a a four star restaurant would have done. Um, so, but I would say, even you know, in the night in the late 90s, early 2000s, sous vide was not as common as you could, you thought it would might be. Um, yeah, you know, but- if you if you want to precision cook a, a a nice piece, an expensive piece of fish or something, yeah but not like it wasn't, it wasn't like used for everything back then. Not, not, yeah, and, not what, close.
0: and what Eagle did is it brought a lot of, like you said, the home chefs and restaurant chefs and some of the higher echelon people all together to have these conversations and say, Hey, I can probably do this if I take my crock pot and put this, you know, inkbird, you know, timer yeah. on it to control it, you know? So that's a lot of D- D-Y- DIY stuff started coming out of that those discussions. And you had people like, you know, Douglas Baldwin who put together yeah. his sous vide, you know, pasteurization tables and all this kind of stuff that came out of Eagle. So I think that's one of the most amazing things is what came out of Eagle. was all these people getting together from the novice to the, you know, scientists to the, you know, professional chefs that have been doing yeah. it a while. And they all, you know, put it all together and they all fed off of each other and it and it just turned into something. Well, what we have now, I don't think if they're an Eagle, it wasn't around back then. It probably would have took a lot longer for Sous Vide to catch on and to be very what it pro- is now. very,
1: very probably. Yeah. Um, I mean, there were obviously a lot of um, development that allowed miniaturized inexpensive Sous Vide products to come to the market. I mean, Anova was kind of like in the early alpha beta testing stages of when they were talking to us, I would say, like around two thousand five, two thousand six, um, when they were the first discussing their 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 initial stick product, um, you know, and at the but I think you know the microcontrollers, the ability to have these you know mass produced heat elements, inexpensive PIDs, right? I mean, we talk about this thing called the the PID or the uh, proportional integral derivative controller, which is essentially a control loop, is what we call in the computer industry or the, or the industrial automation industry and and it, it really does a fairly simple thing which is to you know look at use a thermostatic sensor to understand how do you bring something up to temperature and stabilize that temperature over the a desired period of time right and 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 we see it used in all kinds of things. I first actually started using PIDs in barbecue control. Uh, I, I was not really interested in sous vide in my house. Um, I, I was interested in sous vide going at, in restaurants that were using it, but I didn't really feel the need to be a, you know, a four star Michelin <clears throat> restaurant in my house. I was more concerned about was I going to overcook my ribs or overcook my brisket or overcook, you know, my my my, my pork um, in in the smoker. And you know the great thing about the PID controllers for barbecues is that they're they're not they they you know you you hook up a, a fan to the in, the, in, the the air intake and you know you have your 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 pit probe and you have your meat probe and you set that thing to you know 225 or 240 or whatever you want and it'll maintain that temperature regardless of whether or not it's raining outside or it's cold or it's windy or whatever it will compensate all that stuff for you. And you know, a lot of people say, Well, that's cheating, Jason. It's taking the, the manliness out of barbecue, but I don't care, I just want results, you know. Yeah, like, I think
0: I mean I, I when I first started using that stuff or that stuff started to be getting more popular, even with sous-vide, people yeah. will say, you know, because I was not to say I was the first one <laughs> because I know there was other people mixing sous vide and barbecue. Yeah. I just when I yeah. discovered Sous vide or when I stumbled upon it, um myself, I, that's what I first thought because I was always big into barbecue and I always, you know, like to cook inside too. But when I saw sous vide and what it could do, the first thing that came to my mind is, wow, this would be great to be able to cook a brisket medium rare and still be able to put yeah. it on the smoker and get some smoke to it. Because the only other way you can make a brisket tender is cooking it to over 200 degrees and it's got to be well done. So that's what I saw, you know, the benefits of sous vide, just being able to cook yeah. some of these meats that you know, you normally you would have to cook them super well done just to make them tender where you could actually use the, the lower temperature and the longer time with that sous vide allows that, you know, to make it, Hey, you know, I can make it medium rare or medium and it will be a totally different experience than cooking a, you know, a Franklin's brisket. And that's one of the things people get, well, which one's better? You know, I've never been about which one's better. They're all good and they're all different. You know, I like, you know, I like to make you know, meats, all different kinds of ways. It's like, I always used to tell people, do you only eat fried chicken or do you have roasted chicken? And do you have, you know, uh, chicken fried rice? I mean, you you eat chicken 500 different ways and cook it 500 different ways. You can do that with everything.
1: All these tech products, they're tools, right? And they're they're supposed to help you um, be more precise with your cooking so that you can achieve the results you want. That's really what this is all about is, is achieving results. And I, I, it doesn't bother me that you're, we're altering f- from the traditional way of cooking something, Right. if it achieves the proper results, right? Um, you know, I mean, I, I, or, or
0: for, different for, results, you know, if you, you, yeah. you make something that you couldn't make any other way before, you know, that's that's, that's very that's possible. A, I mean, that's yeah. with me. I mean, it's like how other what other way could you make a medium rare brisket and still make it smoky with them, unless you're using sous and barbecue together?
1: Yeah, and and I think there's also the understanding that we now know a little bit more about food science with some of these things. Right, I mean, it doesn't make sense necessarily to smoke a brisket for 16 hours. You might be able to just smoke it for eight hours to get the smoke penetration you want, and then and then sous vide it the rest of the way, and get right. and get just as good results. So these these computer technologies that are all being used, um, they're all converging now you know, and, and we see these other products that are coming out, like, you know, the, the, you know, precision oven, I think is a great product, but I think, I mean, it's not a perfect product because I think you do need a certain level of expertise beyond just, you know, basic home cook to be able to use the thing. If, if, if you don't have any prior cooking experience, that is going to be a, a hard learning curve product to learn how to use properly. Um, if you do have cooking experience, it's a great product. Um, the, the other thing that Breville is doing, kind of their approach is, here's a here's how you you cook or try to replicate restaurant results. If we guide you every step in the way and tell you what to do, and then the oven will do its thing, right? I mean, so so I mean, it's obviously it's not a sous vide. It does have computer controlled heating oven elements um, and fan and all that kind of stuff to try to um, manage your temperature better. I think those things now. You know. Yeah, and
0: that's that's one of the things I want to get back to E. Gullet because I think that's kind of where it didn't. I guess this technology technology probably would have came about, but it might have been took a lot longer because what that actually I think did was foster that. Yeah. Let's all work together, kind of thing, and what can we do? And and all these people started putting things together, like you talked about Nathan Mervold with the. Yeah. uh, Modernist cuisine and, and then, you know, Douglas Baldwin got, you know, yep. he, when I had a, him on, you know, we, he talked about ego and how much that inspired him and, and Kenji and a lot of these people, you know, they, they had so much fun collaborating on this yep. type of stuff. And, you know, well, what if we did this or what if we did that? And I think that's what inspires a lot of us. And you see it now it's just, it's snowballing because you got more and more people getting involved because, you know, you got groups on Facebook and all that you know, the e- eGullet was one of the incubators and first to do it. But now you got a lot more ways to collaborate with people. And I think people just love doing that. So, so when you started eGullet and you, uh, it started really taking off, um, what, what kind of, what did you see as far as the growth go? And how did that, how did that come well, about?
1: It, it was unpredictable growth. I mean, I mean, it was, it got <clears> way more popular than we ever thought it was going to get. Um, And I think just because there wasn't enough places online for people to have this sort of discussion, you know, like I said, we had chow hound and there was us and there was, you know, at the time there were, you know, cooking groups on America online. And also I think prodigy back in the day, if anybody remembers what the hell that was, that's how my wife (laughs) and I met, we met on prodigy.
0: Yeah. And that's, I used to be back when Eagle, it was, you know, around, I was on a bunch of different forums, we'd call them, you know, for different yep. things, you know, there was whatever any kind of interest you had, there was all these, you know, little chat rooms somewhere, you could find them. And uh, with people talking about all kinds of stuff. And like I said, uh, you know, what gets me is that, you know, Eagle, it was just one of those where you had so many different people with so many different backgrounds that yep. had all, all the love for food and they, they threw all their their expertise into what they could contribute. To yeah.
1: That. It's, it's interesting. It's, it's like, you know, I, I've, I've seen people try to recreate these communities online on Facebook. Some of them are successful. Some of them are not, and, you know, but, but, but I think what I, I, the difference between the discourse that we have now versus what we had then was everybody is doubting expertise now. Like, like you, I'll, I'll go on and I'll say something. I'm like, well, Okay. And someone says, I'm like, well, that's incorrect. But if you want to really want to do it this way, do it this way. And, it goes, and people get like loony crazy. Oh, like, yeah. like, like, who are you to hell to tell me that I'm doing it wrong? And what kind of background do you come from? i said, like, well, I kind of invented food blogging. And people laugh at me. But then I, I kind of have to, you know, I'm like, look, here's a link to all my stuff. I don't want to have to go through this explanation again. I'm like, but it's it's weird. You know, it's weird when you've lived through the golden age of kind of food discussion And then Mm -hmm. now we're trying to just kind of redo it on Facebook, and you know it—it's—it's—it's just not—it's. I mean, Facebook's technology may be more sophisticated, but but it's not better than what we had as far as the the bulletin board stuff. You know, at least I mean, at least on the bulletin boards, we could have topic areas. We could have, you know, different sub bulletin boards for different areas of this. Like 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 you know like I, I would love like you know in my Florida group to be able to have all right i can i would love to be able to narrow it down by i want counties i want cuisines i want cooking versus shopping you know tag clouds and stuff and, and you could do all that with software in 1995 yeah you know, and you can't do that now now everything with facebook is one giant scroll and that people repeating topics over and over and over because they don't want to use the search bar
0: right? Oh, yeah. So and it, they ask it, the same it, questions over and over again. So the, And and I one of the things that gets me because I have several yeah, Facebook right. groups as well. And, you know, you get somebody that's that joins, you know, they got their sous vide circulator last week. And then they, I don't know where they some places they, they, they make their own recipes up and hey, I just yeah. did a, you know, steak at 110 degrees for six hours, and it turned out great. And it's like, okay, you know, you, you did it wrong because let me explain to you why. then it's like, you said, they give you an attitude like, well, who are you to tell me? And it's like, well, it's called science. And here's, (laughs) here's some places you need to go look and, and kind of, you know, review my, might, not, you... might not,
1: might not, want to eat that 110 degree steak. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, it's okay if you cook it for an
0: hour, but when you cook it for six yeah. hours, it's a little yeah. different. You know?
1: dangerous highway to the danger zone as, as, uh, as, as Kenny Loggins would say, but, you know. but
0: yeah, I mean, so, I mean, you do have a lot of that, but one of that's one of the reasons why I created my own Facebook groups is because, you know, some of the other larger Facebook groups that I was participating in before, even the admins didn't care. So they would just, right. You know,
1: they were even worse than some of the the members. So, dude, I've I, 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 I been thrown <laughs> off more food groups than you could possibly count on Facebook. It's it's, it's ridiculous now, but it's it's it, it. But it's weird. You know, it's like people have a very strange perception of like what an attack is. Like you attack me, I'm like no, I I'm just correcting you, or I'm trying to show you <laughs> trying some to help you <laughs> information. I'm trying to help you. I'm not attacking you just because I don't agree with you doesn't mean I'm attacking you. Attacking is an ad hominem yeah that's different.
0: if i I call you uh you know call you a name for no apparent reason that's attacking but if i'm trying to help you explain to you why why what you did is wrong or here's a better way to do it that's not attacking (laughs) no no no
1: it's it's yeah it's it's it's, it's weird though um yeah i i wonder if if like you know if if it never happened in 1990 in in you know 2000 1999 like we did um if it would ever if if some of these things that would have ever happened um i don't know or or where we would be now. Um, So
0: where did you springboard from, from Eagle? And I guess, you know, you you had some
1: um, issues with with
0: the, uh, your partners, they wanted to go a different way and you decided you wanted wanted, to move on.
1: They want, you know, everything has like I, I feel honestly a limited lifespan in terms of, of when they peak in terms of some of these communities i think that t- most of these tends to peak after five years or 10 years the fact that it's still around is actually a testament to how valuable it still is because all those threads from you know from 2000 are still there on that thing um but um i had yeah i had a disagreement with the guy i founded it with um eventually you know we made up and we, we, we were still friends um he passed in, in 2015 um at the age of 45 so yeah i mean i had an early disagreement with him um and i decided i wanted to go my own way so i formed my own food blog for new jersey uh food writing new jersey new york city and and also national you know food writing whenever i would go someplace on, on on a business trip or something i would i would showcase different restaurants um and i had a you know a general interest in food photography at the time so you know i kind of you know honed my Skills on that PowerShot G7, you know, that, all those those the stuff that's now sitting in Flickr now, um, you know, writing about New Jersey restaurants, and I also wrote for the New York Times for a bit. Um, so you know, off the blort broiler was my food blog, and I ran it for ten years. Um, I stopped doing it when I came down to South Florida um, and decided that yeah, you, know, you know, I don't want to be a food blogger anymore. Down, I don't, I don't want to restart my, I don't want to restart my creds in South Florida as a food blogger. <laughs> You know, right. uh, you know, I'm, too, I'm getting too old for this, you know? So, um, I decided, I looked at Facebook as a potential way to one, I don't have to have a, a, an investment in a website that I have to spend money on. Let, 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 let Facebook own the platform and just let me use whatever tools they want and reach out to, you know, the local people. What I did notice on Facebook was there was an absence of highly critical restaurant food discussion, right? So the, the, um, the Sun Sentinel, which is part of the Tribune, uh, you know, newspaper organization, um, started their own Facebook group called "Let's Eat South Florida." And for you know, like three years, you know, like around from 2018 onward, I was, um, I, I was, well, I was six, maybe 2016 onward. I but in 2016 2018 or so, I was like their number one poster. My number one content provider. I was giving them very, very detailed restaurant reviews with lots of pictures and stuff. Um, and what ended up happening was is that you know when you're when you're a strong voice in one of these groups, sometimes people resent it. They resent your ability either to communicate, they resent your ability to market yourself, whatever it is. I gave them free content. Eventually, I was on the odds with them you know that's that's that's, that's un- it was unfortunate so i decided i said you know what i'm going to run my own one of these things i'm not going to number one allow commercial posts i don't allow any restaurants to post uh advertisements of any type which probably limits the amount of volume that we that we could possibly have the amount of members uh, i'm not going to allow any people nonsense attacks on people i'm not going to allow um you know the same garbage you know, posts over and over and over. And again, we're, we're going to limit, you know, the, the, the topics and then we're going to limit the the discussion to what we want to talk about. And um, I I run it with an iron fist. People seem to like it. I don't know why. Um, You know, I, I do more and more things to drive people away from it and yet people keep joining. Mm -hmm. Um, But, but so that's kind of like why I run this. I, I want to, I want people to not be afraid to be critical of the local restaurants in terms of, and unfortunately in South Florida, you know, the dynamics are such that one is we have a lot of expensive real estate. And two, you know, we have a lot of, um, we have a lot of, I would say, mid-range, mediocre places. Like we have like way too many Italian restaurants, way too many pizza places, way too many quote unquote Thai sushi places. And so so the, 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 the authentic sort of stuff is kind of not as as well well advertised because these are small businesses. They don't have the capital as some of these larger restaurant groups to, to do this stuff. And the, be- the more higher end restaurants, the better restaurants, quote unquote, better restaurants are using the more tourist visible areas because South Florida is a highly tourism oriented economy, right? So like, you know, all the seafood places and whatnot are all by the water, right? Um, right <laughs> or, or 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 you know so or in the near the beaches near near the the the, the big condo communities and on all that and i'm not really interested in expensive dining what i want is i want authentically good stuff whether it's it's low end or if it's high end right and we do not have enough of it so why that is the stuff that i'm trying to showcase so for example the the, the question that we get like all the freaking time or you'll see it in, in let's see south florida Sunset, which has seventy five thousand members. Um, where can I get Chinese food? Okay, well, what kind of Chinese food do you want? Well, I want, you know, New York style Chinese food. I'm like, okay, <laughs> no. So, so I did a a list that I, I I wrote on on Google Docs. Of I went, I basically you know inventoried every real Chinese restaurant in South Florida, and which I've been to most of them, you know, and 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 basically rated what they were good at and what they weren't good at, et cetera and that is a very highly circulated document uh for for people looking to eat legitimate chinese food um you know th- that's that's something that i think you know is a value to people like where where can they get the real stuff um you know and i also did this recently for south florida waterfront restaurants you know we we, we built a spreadsheet of over 200 restaurants in southeast florida that are located on the water um you know so that people know where these places are. Right. And with some ranking of, of whether or not they were, they were, they were good, better or or indifferent. Um,
0: Well, and that's good because like you said, it's not
1: you're listing ones
0: that maybe people won't know about or wouldn't know about because they don't have the marketing budget or they're not part of some big, you know, uh, multi chain type, you know, group where they've got, you know, all this money out there, they can put into the uh, all the travel, you know, magazines and all that kind of stuff to get their names out there yeah i used to live down in south florida i lived in fort lauderdale and boca and all that uh, for a while so yeah i I know what's down there and you know back when i was down there i lived in the 80s everything that you know everything was on like the intercoastal you know you had um you know benihana's and all that kind of stuff you know down there by the intercoastal and, and
1: Fort Lauderdale. And, and, and it's not that we don't have good food down here. I mean, we do. I mean, but people have to get out of their comfort zone. Like, like I tell people you got to check out the Latin American places and things, you know, you got to try, try the Venezuelan. You have to try the Colombian. You have to try the Peruvian. These are the things where this, these are the, the, the ethnic groups that have strong communities here. So of course they're going to have good restaurants, Chinese restaurants, We don't. We have a total of like maybe thirty-eight thousand Chinese people in 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 South Florida total. That in New York City you have seven hundred fifty thousand. So the 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 available community of one people that could open a restaurant, two can work at a restaurant that's Chinese and understands the kitchen dynamics. You know, or can speak the language. That is very small. In comparison to where you think, you know, you think there should. I mean, I mean, it, the funny thing is your know, people come from up north, they come down here and they have very high expectations. Right. And they <laughs> complain. But I but I'm like, well, why? Why isn't there a good Chinese restaurant in Boca Raton? Well, that's because Chinese people don't live in Boca Raton. That's right. <laughs> Chinese people live in, in Lauderdale Lakes. Um, you know, they live in other parts of Broward County. Um, where's the good, where's the good Mexican restaurants? There's none, there's none in Fort Lauderdale. Well, that's because that's because they live in Lake Worth. That's because they can only afford to live in, you know, outside of those areas. That's where the real taquerias are. That's where those things are. So you have to understand the dynamics of where you live and where other people live to find those good experiences. Otherwise, you know, it's, it's not legitimate. Um, you know, so it's, it's, you know, it, 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 it's a weird place. Like I said, you know, we, we have this sort of combination of seasonal business with these sort of, um, I would say snowbird kind of people that come in and out seasons and not seasons. Um, it is what it is. Um, I love living here. I love, I love, I love the weather. Uh, it, it way beats New York's and New Jersey's, you know, uh, you know, negative 20 below, you know, winners, uh, and the ice and the snow and the traffic and all that kind of stuff and the taxes we were paying. Um, so, I mean, I, I, live a much better lifestyle here, but I do miss some of those things. You know, I mean, we had fantastic restaurants in New York city. We have fantastic restaurants, um, in New Jersey, um, all different types of, of, of cuisines, all different types of ethnicities. Um, but you know, you have to make the best of where you live and you have, and you have to get that intelligence. And I, and I think that that the understanding the dynamics of where you live is very important to enjoying food where you live, you know? (laughs) Well, Um, and
0: that's the thing I love, you know, going to New York and my, my family, we've, we've been up to the city a few times and stay in Manhattan and just to be able to walk, you know, four or five blocks and hit 10 awesome restaurants that have been there for generations, you know, where, you know, it's the family has ran that restaurant forever and it's not a lot of chain restaurants and not a lot of big, you know, you know, but but then you can go get the, you know, the higher end restaurant that's been, you know, a Michelin star restaurant or what have you, but then you can go right down, you know, two doors down and there's a mom and pop place. that has been there for 20 years that that's got just as good food and totally different, you know, experience. But, you're right. South Florida is more, you know, Panda Express is their best check.
1: <laughs> yeah. Be, be, I mean, we I mean we do have some good ones, but you have to know where to go. Um but, yeah, they're kind because, of hidden. Be, but because we are a tourist economy, um, the the restaurants want to be try to be something for everyone. So for right. example, let's take barbecue. Um, the barbecue restaurants here, I mean, if Florida does not have a need of barbecue tradition. Right. Um, Other than maybe I would say the Cubans doing caca and stuff, which is different, you know, uh, or the Jamaicans doing jerk and stuff like that, which is different. Right. Um, We do not have a southern U.S. style barbecue tradition at all. But because we are in the south and people come to visit, they expect barbecue. So unfortunately, what happens with barbecue restaurants in Florida is, well, they want to make sure that they have chicken. They want to make sure they have beef. They want to make sure they have pork. They want to make sure they have ribs. They want to make sure they have they have they have hamburgers. They have, you know, all these things. But that's not the reality of what a barbecue restaurant is in a barbecue-producing state, right? If you if you go to South and North Carolina, they're pork, right? Right. There, there are places that will only just do pork, and maybe they'll have chicken as a as a as a other thing. But but it's rare that you will see beef in a South Carolina barbecue restaurant. Um, You go to um, Texas, primarily beef, almost 100% beef, whether it's beef brisket or beef ribs and and, and beef sausages, right? Texas hot links are made out of brisket. They're not made out of pork. Um, So they specialize. And the only time you'll see it,
0: the only time you'll see it where they do have pork or something is because they've had a lot of requests for it. And like, They'll just say, okay, we'll give in and we'll do some we'll do some pork ribs. You but, know? but but it's never it's
1: it's never as good as what they knew normally because like I no, mean they cook yeah. at different temperatures. So if you if you mix your smoker, if you mix your rig, your rig with pork and chicken and beef, they're all gonna cook at different temperatures and, and you're right. not gonna be able to pay attention to all of them at the same time. So it's it's it, they never come out those things never come out good. And unfortunately in Florida, you know, we don't, nobody wants to like stick to their guns and say, we're going to be a pork place. We're going to be a South Carolina place. We're going to do pork. Um, that never happens. Here. Well, um, but
0: you, you so know what? You can like, use that though for, there's a lot of, I guess, family type restaurants or sports bar type restaurants that, uh, I'm, you know, just because I know I've been down there, big daddy's, you know, you go to big yeah. daddy's restaurant, yep. He's got forty two hundred things on his menu, yeah. Because he's because he's trying to, yeah. you know, please everybody instead of you know specializing in just. And you'll see this. I used to watch, you know, the, the Restaurant Impossible shows where you know some of these, you know, yeah. yeah, they may be celebrity type chefs, but they know what they're talking about, and they go in, they go, why the hell do you have two hundred and fifty entrees on your menu right i mean your food cost is is crazy you can't do well, any of them well you this know is what
1: I, this is what i tell the restaurateurs <laughs> when they open a new place i look at that menu. i'm like you have way too much crap on this menu sir
0: yeah Ma'am.
1: exactly you need to basically cut this down to a quarter and just do the the, the top 16 things you do well and that's it i mean listen i, I went to new orleans recently a couple months ago back in december My wife and i went on vacation and we went to one of our favorite places giacomo's Uh, which is a legendary restaurant. Now, he is a smart businessman, Jack Leonardi. He decided because of the pandemic and all this stuff having to do with supply chain and not being able to get certain things and what have you, he streamlined his menu to a greatest hits album. of You know, a dozen things that, the top dozen things that everyone always orders and he does really well. And I applauded him for it because if he went to his standard five, six page menu, he would have gotten killed. He wouldn't have been able yeah. to keep his business running. And that's
0: where I think, like you said, you know, if you got consistent quality um, and you specialize in something, that's what's going to keep bringing people back to you. You know, you can have, you know, just 20 things on your menu. If you execute them well and they're consistently, yeah. you know, awesome. And, you know, that's what you, you concentrate on and, and perfect that's what people come back and love they don't they don't care if you got oh today i want a reuben sandwich you know you know instead of making me you know chinese food could you make me a reuben they don't care you know but that's what i don't know some of these restaurants i see i walk in when i see a a menu that i got to fold. you know five or six pages of different stuff it's just like you know the food cost alone has to be killing them that's why they're not making any money you know (laughs) <laughs> it's because they got all these other food that's that's you know got to be used you know you can't tell me yeah if you if you're a burger place mostly and then you're selling you got you know all these other things on the side you know that stuff's not even getting used you're just throwing yeah, it out
1: you, you shouldn't be serving pizza if you're a burger restaurant I and mean, that's, that's
0: that's exactly sure. so let's talk about um what you're doing now so you you work now you have some Work you do with ZDNet and CNN. Yeah, so and-
1: so I've been writing for ZDNet for 14 years uh, as senior technology editor. So um, I cover all aspects of the computer industry, mobile technology, you know, data centers, cloud, computer security, a lot of cybersecurity recently. Um, you name it. Um, so I, I kind of have the, you know the the ability to kind of write about whatever I want um, in a, in an op-ed sort of a way. Um, a couple months ago. I also uh, joined uh, the freelance uh, staff of uh, CNN, uh, Underscored, which is their uh, review website. And uh, the first piece I did for them was on espresso machines. They wanted somebody who could really look at the tech of the espresso machines and try to figure out, you know, which were the top ranked ones. Um, And let me tell you, that was that was a hard article to do. You know, I mean, I mean, I had 20 espresso machines landed at my house and I was boxing and unboxing and, you know, pulling shots and all these things and, you know, trying to come up with a test rubric for this stuff. You know, because you want to, well, you want to have the same consistent controls when you're doing stuff, right? So, like, it came down to what kind of coffee beans I was using, um, how I was grinding them. Um, you know, and and it, it there was a lot of debugging involved in that because you know some of these things are coming from you know Italy and you know if they got knocked around in shipping uh, they might not be working when they got to you so I actually had to open up some <laughs> of these things up and do some electronics and and, and plumbing work uh, to fix some of these things up when they got here um, and that was that was a, that was by the, by far one of the most difficult writing assignments I ever had to I had to do um, the pizza one the pizza oven one came next. Um, That was also very interesting. Um, I looked at, you know, the Unis. I looked at the Gosneys. I looked at, you know, Bertolos. I looked at um, Breville. That that article will continue to grow with more uh, products um, as I, you know, add more and look at more. Right now I'm looking at the Gosney Dome. um, So we'll see how that one works out. Um, That's a very expensive product. Um, It's just kind of crazy, like, you know, where home enthusiasts how much money they are willing to spend on some of these products. Well
0: I tell you what though, I, had a, I had I had the Gosni Dome and yeah it's it's kind of pricey for what it is but there's people that have these uh the alpha ovens that are like yeah. four or five grand.
1: Oh oh yeah so I oh
0: mean yeah. it's not it's not crazy if if you compare it to something like that where yeah. I have friends of mine that literally have the five thousand dollar you know yep. alpha and Yeah. You can probably put some casseroles in it and stuff like that and cook some chicken, but it's kind of a pain in the ass. You know, when you come down to it, they cook pizza really well, but everything else is kind of a chore to kind of cook something. in. you can do it to try to justify your expense. But I I, I thought, I thought, you know, when I had the guys, I only had it for a while and I just didn't use it enough. And I said, uh, all right, I've done my review. I'll get rid of it. But at least it's not that kind of a, where I spent five grand on something to cook no. pizzas on. And then I got, it looks pretty, it's a conversation piece, but so it, it's functional and it, it it's pretty good for what it is. It is probably a little pricey from what most people would do. Um, But yeah, and that's one of the things too. I like, I like watching and, and doing some of my own reviews and then watching what other people do and how they review it. You know, the way I look at, I don't try to compare you know multiple things together i try to just review one product at a yeah, time or yeah, one I mean, or the, two i'll compare the, one or two against each other
1: and the, 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 ra- the roundups round can be intense i mean the pizza one took us like i don't know like like 10 weeks to do it right um and that was that was that was just insane i mean the amount of number of people we had have overcooked pizzas for was, was actually insane um <laughs> You know, and that was a process because we had a because you know you, you're not gonna be like a home, a regular home chef where all right I'm gonna cook a batch of pizza sauce, or I'm going to cook a, a a batch of I'm gonna make a batch of dough. Now we were making we were making dough like nonstop. You know, <laughs> it, it, you know we I mean we had that we had the ka going like almost nightly, just just staging pizzas ready ready to because you know because if you want a good pizza you got to ferment it for a good like you know, seventy two hours you know three to five days you right. know, to get to get the flavor and the fermentation you want and the gluten uh formation you want we could not cook our own pizza to- uh sauce for this purpose we went out and bought you know commercial uh um, you know um we we used we used like the the best quality like organic you know canned one we could buy like mere glenn or cento or something like that just because the volume that we were doing you know we were, we had to cook a good You know, two dozen pizzas in each oven before he felt confident on on its performance level. Some of them we had to do more. So, like, you know, we had we were at a point where, you know, our local neighbors were like we had them on text alert. We're cooking pizzas tonight. Who's coming? And we had boxes. (laughs) We had boxes ready to go to put pizzas in just shoving them out the door, just watching them. You know, me observing them and watching Cook Times and and, and all this stuff. So it, it got it gets crazy when you do some of these some of these reviews. But like you know, it's it's interesting. You know, you, you get into this sort of rubric of testing stuff, and you kind of, and then you come finally come down with the opinion. You like you kind of self doubt yourself. Like so, like for example, the the Rockbox when we eventually had a play when we had a pitted against the the Unis, right? The Koda and the Car whether with the, the, the Rockbox was originally marketed as a, a wood oven, but its wood hopper is horrible, and it really only performs well as a gas oven. Um, but as, but it had it does not have a replaceable. Um, it doesn't have replaceable stone. So if you crack the stone, you, you're, you're done. Um, you basically have to like drill through the casing to rip the whole front out, and you know, kind of like do a, a MacGyver approach uh, of getting a stone in there from a third party. Um, so, but I did, there was a lot I liked about it. Great re- heat retention on the stone. Great insulation on it. Um, it's compact, um, and it, so it had things that I liked about it better than the Unis. But from its price point and its weaknesses, it did not get top billing. That doesn't mean that it's a bad product. It just means it didn't get top billing, right, Right. from from my my evaluation and understanding how a typical consumer might use something, right, which is kind of, you know, the top of the line on an article like that is like, yes, we are going after the consumer in this piece, you know, not, not, not food geeks right so we're, <laughs> we're trying we're trying to prioritize like what a typical consumer would want and then of course you know people we start screaming at me like the gosney people in the, the gosney you know user group are like oh my god you don't know what you're doing like you don't understand pizza i'm like okay well i did this for 10 weeks like you know well you yeah, um, and and know like,
0: like, <laughs> i i i get that too you might want to google
1: my background before telling me i don't know anything about pizza uh, but yeah like, get- I'm like, I'm like yeah
0: you get people like that, you know, well, this, this review wasn't for you because you already have your rock box and you love it. And that's what you love. You made a personal investment in
1: it and and, and you want to defend it, which I think is weird with people. People get very, no,
0: people do that all the time in in the barbecue groups and the, I mean, even the, I mean, goodness, the people, the Jewel versus Anova people in the vide groups, I mean, really? they're, they're, they're wow. Not as much anymore, but they were. I
1: mean, it's like, no, oh, Jewel's the best.
0: No, Anova's the best. You know, oh, no, this one's the best. There are, yeah, there, people... my,
1: my, my response is, dude, they're made all of the same Chinese factory. I mean, <laughs> uh, in, in, in Shenzhen, they, they just stick the different label on and, it and, and, and a different so- piece of software in the microcontroller, and, and it's the same thing.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, but I mean, you get that, you get all the brand people that just, they, they love, I mean, the barbecue groups are the same, you know, the grill. No, nope, You know, the Traeger's the best, or this one's the best, or that's the best and everything else stinks. And they're just, it gets a little crazy. I've never been a, you know, I like stuff that works well and it, that, yeah. you know, whether it's this brand or that brand, so I, I don't really care as long as it works good. You know, I don't look at just the brand name Okay, well, everything's right. got to be, everything's got to be this brand, whether it stinks or not. I'm one of the first ones that'll tell you, you know, I love, you know, the Kamado Joe, you know, ceramic grills better than a big Renee because it includes a lot more stuff, but they came out with a temperature controller that just stinks, you know, and I, would you know, well, I'd tell it on the people, Hey, I love Kamado Joe, this yep. in particular grill because it's great. I said, but this the other thing they make is yeah. garbage. Whatever, <laughs> they, whatever they outsource
1: it to is a piece of junk. So it's 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 interesting when you think about these companies from a, a legacy reputation perspective. You get into like even like like hub appliances, GE. GE is not what it used to be, you know, or Wolf is not what it used to be, or you know, these are all these companies have. Yeah, they put their label on it, but they're all made in factories in China or in Indonesia or whatnot. And you know, if you compare them qualitatively compared to what existed twenty years ago, there's a big difference. Between well, even we, I mean, you
0: know, e- even some of these uh, you know barbecue companies, Weber, when oh, Weber yeah. really when they came out with their new <coughs> grill, wow. totally changed their whole. You know, you know, they never had any kind of electronic, you know, based. Grill before you know their gas grills were just gas, their yep. you know, all their you know, their uh kettle grills and their yeah, all their other yeah. grills were just basic, you know, well-made brand was great. When they first came out with that pellet grill, it totally changed. Now they got to have software, they got to have oh, all these wow. electronic compo- comp- components, and it bombed. Man, they had issues right off the bat, and they got skewered because. You know, they had grease fires, they had all these issues, the, the software wouldn't update and, you know, right. the motors were not working and they never had a grill with a motor in it before. So they were
1: like, it's totally, well, that's what, that's what totally something new these, for them. So that's what kills <laughs> me with these products is these apps, right? I'm like, I mean, you can have, to have the best engineering team make the best hardware in the world, but if your app sucks, that's no good. Like, I mean, for when, when the first got started with precision Oven, it, it was not a good app. And over the last year or so, it's gotten way better, like way, way, way better. It's still not where I want it to be, but it's way better. But like, if you look at like Breville's, they their the the Jewel app, whatever they call Breville cooking app for their quote unquote Jewel oven, which is really just the Breville oven with a little bit of extra smarts on it and Wi Fi and, and 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 you know and and Bluetooth, it's it's a very immature app. It's missing a lot of stuff that I would want, you know, as right. as, a, as a as a cook or a consumer. So you know, all these things are evolving you know all these all these electronic devices all these consumer devices all these kitchen devices it's 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 insane the level of technical complexity that some of these things are i mean now if you look at the uh we have one of those um what is it called uh thermomix units the tm6 that thing is like something out of uh, star trek if you look at it it's 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 i mean yeah it's, ultimately it's a blender slash food processor that has a yin element that can cook but, like, you look at the thing, it's got, like, a touch screen on it that's color, it's Wi-Fi enabled, it's connected to the Internet. You know, you can, you, can, you can pull up recipes from their database someplace. It's, like, it's nuts what some of these things are now capable of doing.
0: A lot of little things coming out that aren't going to be, you know, viable. But then again, you're going to get some of that stuff that's going to stick and people are going to go, hey, this thing is going to catch on. I think the Anova oven is, yeah, it's in its infancy for sure. But it's you know got a lot of potential to it. They're going to do some redesigns. Yeah. I mean, there's some things that, like you said, I, that you don't like. There's some things about it I don't like. But you right. know, for the most part, it, it does what it's supposed oh, to. do. Oh, it it,
1: to, it does what it does it's supposed to do for sure. I mean, and it, it does it, a lot it, of things
0: it, that you yeah, can't do with any other oven. So it's uh, it's uh, it's a pretty pretty good thing for what it is. I mean, for five ninety nine. I mean, yeah, that's dirt cheap
1: for what the thing does. It's yeah, dirty for what it does. yeah, yeah.
0: So, and I think I think that you know, they are going to, you know, fix all the things that are wrong with it. And it's going to, they'll probably come out with a bigger version and a, you know, a more uh, complex version. I'm sure if they can, they can stay alive. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know they're, they're having some problems with uh supply chain issues right now well too. they all are
1: well they are i mean they're owned by obviously now by uh electrolux so that kind of helps them a little bit but you know right. like everybody can't get you can, cannot get chips now nobody can get you i mean this this this. i just found out that the car i'm picking up the Polestar. there's actually an option in the package that i that i bought that apparently they don't have the chip for it so therefore they have to install it at a later date down the road yikes yeah. It, it, it's, 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 that's where we are right now. And I, I mean, even things like paint pigments are hard to get right now for cars. You know, like, like if you want to get a car in like a certain color green or whatever, like that, yeah, you're going to wait like eight, nine months. If you want it in white or black. You can get it immediately. But like, you know, well, it's, it's, it, it's crazy.
0: Well, let's hope that all starts changing, but Jason, it was great talking to you. Is there anything else you want to discuss before we call it quits? I'm sure I'll have you on again some other time. Cause uh, this is a, uh, like i said an ever changing uh, ever growing uh, you know yep. uh, field that we're talking about I and mean, like, like i said i'm just so amazed at how from just the even on the outdoor cooking side but when you combine the you know, the changes that are happening on in yep. the indoor and outdoor and all the different things that we have today it's just amazing to me so
1: yeah i but, could go uh, days on this stuff um uh, if you want to <laughs> hook up with me online um you know i'm on uh, at, at j perlo on twitter Um, and on Facebook, it's, uh, my group is called foodies who review South Florida. Uh, if you just put that in the search, you'll find it. Um, I'll put that uh, down
0: in the description of the podcast so people can, can click on that and find you as well. But thanks for joining me. I appreciate, uh, talking about all this food and technology stuff. And I love, always love talking to other people that have the same interests as me. So
1: (laughs) my pleasure, Darren. I really, I really had fun today.
0: I appreciate it, buddy. I'll see you again on the next time you're on. Well, thanks again for tuning into the Fire & Water Podcast. I know I've been gone a while, but we're going to be trying to make this uh, get back into swing here probably once every uh, couple weeks. We'll have a new episode. But make sure you check out the links below. Check out Jason Perlew on CNN and ZDNet and everywhere he is. But make sure you follow us on the Facebook groups uh, and the Fire & Water Cooking website, fireandwatercooking.com. Thanks for listening and watching, and I'll see you on the next Fire & Water Cooking Podcast.